Show number 66 of Look at His Butt, LT and JK Talk Trek. All right, show 66. Six, six. And another six, and we would be... Devil women. Devil, well, we are, but... (laughs) Yeah, we know that without Mm -hmm. the numbers. Yeah. So. So, stuff. Our first segment is going to be about... You. It's all about you guys. It's email. It's email. Yay. We've been getting some great, great email. We want to talk about it. So why don't you start? Well, um, the one of the best emails we've got recently is from our friend Wildcat, um, who has been our friend for a long time, especially your friend. And she baited a lot of your stuff. She baited um, some things for me. And um, she had been having technical issues and not being able to listen to the show until really recently. So finally, she she said um, she sends an email to both of us that says, um, subject line, I made it. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! And she listened to basically all the shows kind of back to back in a very short period of time, which is not recommended. <laughs> <laughs> because it could cause you to lose your mind. But she went ahead and did it, and then she sent us this enormous email with comments on almost every single show, which totally blew me away. So, and in some cases, she asked questions, and we have no idea like, what, what she was even talking, talking about. about. <laughs> I have no idea. So um, there were a couple things that she had in here that I wanted to read because I thought people would enjoy them. And she's such a good writer anyway and tells such good stories. So the first one, you know, we've said before on the show that we do want to interview her and we hope that can happen. But just in case, she actually told us how she got into Star Trek. And I thought we should share that with the the fans. So um, she says, my story is that Trek was on every afternoon around 4 o'clock, but our TV didn't pick up the channel. So I used to stand there and hold the antenna and sometimes I would just get to listen to it. I got into Profic when I worked at Walden Books. When I was about 23, Trek was on TV every Saturday at 11 o'clock. It was huge to me. I used to buy Lembrusco and mix it with cranberry juice, pop popcorn, and I'd be set. The stories were always in my head, although they went away for a long time. I'll never forget how they came back to me. They were like the safe place that I could retreat into when I was having a hard time. It was Killa's big story that made me decide I could do it, too. I sat down and typed a 26-part story straight through from start to finish. That's pretty much the way I still write when I write. So I thought that was that was really good. It's very interesting. And um, I told her when I wrote back that when I first read that, and she was saying it was on at 11, and she was drinking Lambrusco, <laughs> I thought she meant 11 in the morning. <laughs> It's a damn good thing it wasn't. I thought that was interesting, too, because um, where she was saying it was a safe place to retreat to, if you remember, that was Sunbeam. Yeah. Um, was the same sort of thing. Yeah. So I, I find that I, the reasons people get into this, I find just so fascinating. Mm-hmm. So here's another thing she mentioned. Um, you talked about aliens with their accents, and I think that one of the best was Elan of Troyes. As I remember, she had a terrific accent. I wish that more aliens who were the same species had talked the same, though. You'd expect some variation, but I also would have liked to see some consistency. Galaxy Quest was the perfect example, because the aliens were very much like each other while still being very different from humans. This is true. So that is a great observation. Um, so here we go. This is, this is a great comment. When you were talking about how Starfleet captains are taught at the academy not to enjoy having sex to get information, I envisioned students having sex while hooked up to a machine that would shock them if they started enjoying it. (laughs) And then, 
then, when you were talking about Trek comics, it reminded me of when I was pretty young and I picked up a Star Trek comic in Big K. I'll never forget it. One frame had a chimpanzee on the bridge, <laughs> sitting in Spock's chair with Spock's tent standing by him. <laughs> this is great. It was so embarrassing for the Trek characters that I put it down immediately, and I wished that I'd had Listerine for my brain so the image wouldn't have stuck with me for the last 40 or so years. <laughs> I really want to fi- a fanfic though with it that has a chimpanzee in Spock's chair. Oh god. <laughs> okay, so that that's what I wanted to share because that's just so funny. So I really hope we can have her on the show one day. It would day. be so would be great. great. So you hear that, Wildcat? We're going to get you. And and I wrote back to her and answered some of the questions and you said you knew the answers to some uh, there were going to write to her yeah. too. So so um Wildcat, we, we will <laughs> get back to you. Resistance is futile. Yes. Now, in the past couple of weeks, we have gotten 10 or more emails <laughs> from one new listener. His name is Jamie Dunst. Jamie, don't you have anything else to do? <laughs> yeah, he, he or she. I don't know. You know, Jamie could be. It could right. be a guy. Uh, I was thinking a guy, but anyway. Um, he brings up some really wonderful issues, sent us a whole bunch of really cool stuff, I, and uh, so I want to just... Uh, you know, when, when the one time I, when I was looking in our email account, mm-hmm. I thought that it was like one of those emailer mistakes where it just keeps sending the same message again and again. And nope. I was like, oh my God, look at all those emails. Nope. What did we do to deserve this? It's great. So um, in one of his first emails, Jamie asked a question. I told him we weren't going to answer it because uh, we wanted I wanted mm-hmm. us to talk about it on the show. And uh, so he goes... Here's a question for you two. Um, I like William Shatner. Captain Kirk is one of my favorite characters in the Star Trek universe, with Will, William Riker being my favorite. My question is this. Listening to you talk about William Shatner's performances in various movies and television shows, is there a performance that you feel he wasn't right for or just didn't do quite the job you are usually used to? Love the, past, love the podcast and looking forward to catching up. So I thought that would, that was a good question because we do get all 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 drooly and, and googly eyed over Bill. Um, but um, when I first read this, the thing that that came to mind for me mm-hmm. instantly um, was I never enjoyed him on uh, Third Rock from the Sun. Right, and it's because I think Bill, when he does comedy, is really good at this. Um, sort of light comedy, like, you know, Trouble with Tribbles and mm-hmm. like some of the stuff we've been seeing him do in Boston Legal and that sort of thing. But the things where he, where it is really broad comedy, which mm-hmm. is what Third Rock was, he, I, I don't know, it, it just, he doesn't do it mm-hmm. for me doing that. I think that's a good observation. I think I agree with you. I remember watching it and thinking that it wasn't very funny. And it was really stunt casting on their part. I mean, they really didn't pick him for any reason. Other um, than? Other than that he's Bill. I will say, um, that episode of, uh, God, was it Columbo? Where he had the mustache? Oh, yeah. That was bad. Yeah. And it wasn't, it was because they were trying to play him against type. He was supposed to be a villain. Sort mm-hmm. of a suavish villain. And it was just, it was all wrong. Yeah. All wrong. Yeah. You know, like... Sure, it was not a very good script or anything, but he just can't play that type yeah. of character. That's totally not him. Like the 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 two faced, slimy sort of you know <laughs> upper class guy. It's yeah, like, he just can't do it. Yeah, and that was a bad episode, and he yeah. was bad in it. And I will shock you now. 
I will pick out a Star Trek thing that I thought he oh, did badly. Okay. This when you're talking about acting choices, mm-hmm. I um, this is the the one that Bill made a bad choice. Mm-hmm. But it, I'm going to preface this by saying I admire him for going out on a limb, mm-hmm. which he frequently does <laughs> as an actor. Yes. And I think if they had allowed him to retake this, he would have done it differently, or he wishes they had mm-hmm. chosen a different take. And that is in. The Children Shall Lead, uh-huh. a horrible, horrible, horrible episode. <laughs> yes. And it's the one where the kids pound their fists yeah. to, to bonk, make bonk. things happen. No, it's not bonk, Oh, bonk. no, oh, no you're bonk, right. I'm bonk, sorry. Is Mary. Yeah, I'm sorry. This, but anyway, so they make Kirk think that he's losing control of the ship. And Spock hustles him oh, yes, into the turbo lift. lift. I'm losing control of the ship. <laughs> and every time I see it, I think he sounds like Ted Baxter <laughs> on the Mary Tyler Moore show. <laughs> And I always think of that as Captain Kirk's Ted Baxter moment. (laughs) I mean, he's even physically sort of Baxtering. You're right, you're right. I think so. I think we actually watched some of that together once, and you need to comment, and I agree with you. I completely agree with you. Is control of my ship? (laughs) You know, it was at the end of a long shooting day, and they just wanted to go home. Like too bad. This is too bad. We're not going into overtime for that scene. Leave it alone, Bill. Leave it alone. So, among the other wonderful things that Jamie has said, us, come on, come on, come on. Oh my goodness, he said us so much stuff. He said us so much stuff, but some of it I just really, really have to share. It's just my connection is really slow. We will have to post this to the blog. It is. Oh God, it's so slow. I'm going to another link that he sent. It is a picture of a doll. It's the, and I've oh, seen it before, that. That was really but funny. I love it. It is the James T. Kirk mid-season <laughs> edition. It's and it's a Kirk doll with a big belly and, on and him. And man boobs, too. <laughs> yeah. And I have seen that before, and part of what I think is so funny about it is... With the socks. He's got white socks on and black shoes. But here in the others, he's got boots on. Um... So maybe they sort of photoshopped uh-huh. him or something. But um, it's true that at mid-season, <laughs> balloons, and then he goes, oh, God, these shirts don't fit anymore. And then he yeah. dives back down to his, his trim. And that's part of how you can, you know, tell where you are in a season is uh, by that. Yep. That so, was but, really funny. And in case anybody's wondering, that's not a real doll. You, <laughs> you can't, can't buy it. it. But, oh, my goodness, it is so, so It is hilarious. Funny. Um. What was the other thing? Oh, okay. I don't know. You told me not to look in here, so I don't know. Yeah, because there's something there I don't want you to see. Okay. Oh, okay. This is a great question. So I have a question that I've been thinking about since I heard this. I have to confess to the fact that I never knew that William Shatner wore a hairpiece. Mm -hmm. You would know if you had watched what we watched last episode. Yes. Um, Anyway, I was kind of shocked to hear that. But my question is this. In Star Trek Four, in Star Trek Four, there is a scene with the relevant conundrum. Okay, I shouldn't do that because I'm that type of geek. There is a scene where Captain Kirk is underwater trying to free the humpback whales, George and Gracie, from their containment area in the Klingon war- warbird. How does his hairpiece stay during the underwater scene? Thanks in advance. Now I remember when I saw this, and mm-hmm. I was with friend other than you. I didn't know you back then, and we talked about it afterwards, and we said. 
His hairpiece should get an Oscar for that. <laughs> I can only assume that they glued it to his scalp with crazy glue. Well, the, remember the commercials for Hair Club for Men? And they yeah, show the guys in there swimming? Yeah, yeah. So um, maybe toupee glue is a lot well, I got stronger than I thought. I, I would, and didn't he provide a link to Wikipedia on toupees? Oh, <laughs> did you see that? <laughs> Let's go look at that. Again. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was like, yes. Want to read what Wikipedia has to say about? Well, toupees? here's the thing. Um, I think that you know, since cinema began, mm-hmm. um, the people who have done costuming and wigs and hair and all that have had a lot of experience with. Um, difficult situations where the stars would have to be in water or in rain or in other places where um, they need to fix the things to their scalps pretty firmly. So I think that it's just been something they've developed a lot over time, and they probably use different glue. Well, here's what it says on Wikipedia. While toupee dealers and manufacturers often advertise their products showing men swimming, water skiing, and enjoying water sports, these activities can damage the toupee. Salt water and chlorine can cause a toupee to wear out quickly. Mm-hmm. Human sweat during sports can require the toupee be cleaned more frequently, and shampoos and soaps used to do this damage used to do this damage the toupee over time. An attempt is made to match the color of the toupee to the natural hair color of the wearer. The toupee's color can fade with time, though, causing a color mismatch that overly emphasizes the presence of the hairpiece. Mm-hmm. Now you know. Star Trek Four, they had budget. They yeah, they wouldn't sure. care if it, being underwater was going to hurt it. But it seems like the being underwater thing is more an issue for damage to the toupee, not a question of it floating away. Yeah, so um, one assumes that they had, you know, lots of them mm-hmm. and that they could replace them as well. I mean, the stuff that they usually use, I know that they use tape sometimes, mm-hmm. but they also use spirit gum, which is the kind of stuff you use for stage Right, but so spirit gum... Does that dissolve in water? I know sweat will have an effect um, on it. Wh- well, when you use spirit gum, like to make a mustache or something like that, you can just peel it off, but then I believe, I'm pretty sure, you use alcohol to remove the remnants of yeah. spirit gum. Okay. But it's not like, you know, glued on forever in a, yeah. in a high wind, you know, you can wear this to pay in a hurricane. It's not not that sort of thing at all. Well, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I think that... Uh, Costuming and wigs in Hollywood have developed to the point where they can make stuff stick in water. <laughs> I would hope so. I think so. So I think that that's the answer to that question. And maybe one of our listeners has some expertise in this area. Maybe so. And they can give us the whole scoop on how hair pieces stay on underwater. That would that would because be... you know, in addition to that, there have been so many movies where women are wearing swimwear that's completely impractical for being in the water and those bathing suits stay on when they're in the water so i have to assume they're glued to their skin somehow somehow yeah you know that they don't come off when they're doing whatever they're doing in Mm -hmm. bond movies or whatever so it must be the same stuff now while we're on the subject of email yes um let's see we are subscribed to live video yes so that we get the shatner vision notices and we've got a couple of emails saying, so-and-so has subscribed to your channel. We don't actually have a channel there. We haven't put anything up there. But like when you said if somebody wanted to friend you, mm-hmm. um, they had to send you a, an email saying, this yeah. is who I am. If you really want to get in touch with us, subscribing to our, our channel <laughs> is not the way to do it. And we don't know who you are. Yeah. Uh, same goes for um, MySpace because I said mm-hmm. before that I yes. had an account on MySpace and it's my name. It's Lana Taylor. And I've had several people who I thought might be Trek fans try to to be friends. Um, But, like, if I don't know who you are, I'm not going to add you as a friend. So if you would like to friend me 
through MySpace, you really have to say who you are and send me a separate email because otherwise it's not going to happen. We should talk about those. Oh, I forgot about those. Yeah, we said we were going to do that at dinner. Well. Well. So we're going to step aside for a moment and, and move to um, another topic that's all about you. Right. It's not listeners. email. but It's not email, but it's actual snail mail. Yes. Um, our friend, Scott Adams, the other Scott Adams... Oh, it's the other package. Okay, I'll find it. I'll find it while you're doing setup. Our our friend Scott Adams, who is deeply involved in the Mego Museum, um, had we talked about this a little bit. They've done a series. Of, things are just worries, collapsing around. Oh my god! Oh my god! All right, take twenty five. Okay. Our friend Scott Adams, who's involved with the Mego Museum had told us that they were doing a series of trading cards based on the Star Trek characters. They do trading cards for many different series, and they were finally doing the Star Trek ones. And um, he, of course, found it highly amusing that we have our Kirk dolls and play with them and all that stuff. So he very, very kindly sent us some cards. Now, you can't buy these cards. These are just promotional only. And he was kind enough to just send us um, a couple of sets. And they are the most amazing things ever. They do such a good job with these. So they're the dolls that are posed in the bridge set mm-hmm. that you could get with, right. with the dolls that came out. And they're posed like real people. They don't look like dolls. And, well, it's 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 just great. And if you will remember when we first talked about this, um, that when they put the picture of the Kirk card up, they, they did it or they did it with Kirk like because Scott wanted to. Because Scott wanted to. But these these are beautiful um the Kirk one, he's sitting in his bridge chair. He's uh-huh. kind of got his, his legs semi-crossed. Yep. You can, I'll put the link up, and you can see what these all look like at, yes. the, at the Amigo site. Um, let's see. This is, uh, it's sponsored by someone. It says promotional purposes right at the bottom. And uh, it's number 39 in the series. Well, and what's fun, too, is on the back they have little questions and answers. Yeah. And uh, this, I'm looking at the Mr. Spock card, and it says, The Mego Art Department painted how many portraits of Spock for Star Trek TV series toys? I don't know. Eleven. Wow. What does it say on the back of the Kirk card? Oh, where did actors William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy promote Star Trek toys for Mego? Toys R Us. Yes, Toys R Us. Of course. It says, of course, right on the card. Oh, now this is a really good one because I didn't know this. I'm looking at the Uhura card. Mm-hmm. She is seated at her position. and um, Okay, so it says, I love on the back it says Migo, Lieutenant Uhura. Mm-hmm. Um, Migo made two African-American females before Uhura. Oh. Name them. Oh, boy. I have absolutely no idea. Black Dynamite. In 1973, and Black Maddie Mad in 72. Wow. Now, what is this? Oh, those are the cards that the Mego dolls actually came on, so they're showing you different ones. Oh, okay. Different promotional cards. They're kind of hard to see because they're a little bit grayed out. Prototype Trek figures debuted on the group cover shot of the 1975 Mego catalog, differed from the final products. Uhura wasn't ready at all, and a dynamite doll, <laughs> Mego's 8-inch answer to Barbie, was used in her place. Find more catalog oddities at the um, Mego Museum Library. Well, here's the one on Kirk's do- uh, card. Okay. The popularity of Star Trek in syndication made it an attractive license for Mego. They paid only $5,000 to secure the rights. Wow. Mego's Vice President, Neil um, Kublin, 
pushed hard for the line based on cutting-edge market research. His kid loved the show. Aww. So, let's see. Why don't we tell, why don't we say what all the cards are? So there's Kirk, there's Spock, there's Uhura. <laughs> there's McCoy. McCoy. Whoops. McCoy. Oops, sorry. I just dropped McCoy. Mr. Scott. Mr. Scott. Mr. Scotchy. Scotchy. There's a Klingon, and I love the Klingon one because Kirk is beating the crap oh, out of him. Oh, it is such a good action shot. And yes. the Klingon's like falling over backwards. It's really beautiful. Kirk looks all manly. And then there's the Gorn, and he's doing a flying leg like, kick at the Gorn. It's great. It's and the Gorn actually doesn't really look like the Gorn. No, no. But I think they were reusing another doll. Or I something. think they were. <laughs> then there's the Mugato. Mugato stopping on Kirk. Yeah. Poor definitely. Kirk. But you notice Kirk is in all of these? I know. Here's the keeper. Uh-huh. And there's Kirk and McCoy. Uh-huh. He looks great. <laughs> the Talos one cracks me up because at what moment in the Talos episode was Spock down on the ground with McCoy <laughs> examining him and, and Kirk arguing with the keeper? <laughs> he's, he's in a very Shatner-esque pose here. He really is. <laughs> The Andorian is um, arm in arm with Mr. Scott. Ooh, maybe they're they're doing um, like a dosi do or something. Something. And then the rest of the gang are in the background talking to each other, mm-hmm. conferring. Uh, Romulan, and there's Captain Kirk in the background mm-hmm. on the screen. Big hovering head. On Big the hovering screen. head. Yeah. Charon. The black and white guy uh-huh. being neck pinched by Mr. Scott while Kirk looks on smiling. Did you notice that the card is half black and white too? <laughs> Wait, let me look. Look. Look at the background. <laughs> <laughs> These guys are awesome. They are so good. And then there's the Neptunian, who is a big green thing wearing um, a lovely red women's bathing suit, <laughs> about to jump on Captain Kirk. Now, it says on the back of the card. True or false, Neptunian is based on aliens in the Star Trek animated series. And the answer is false. <laughs> Me who invented the character, because they needed to fill up the box or something. They did. He's wearing fishnet tights also with that uh, red women fading suit. <laughs> I think he's got a fishnet body, because it's on his chest and oh, his but arms Kirk as well. Kirk looks sort of suitably spooked by the whole thing. Well, there. wouldn't you Don't be? You think? <laughs> when, and he's in Kirklight. Look at that Kirklight on him. He's in Kirklight. He looks great. These are, these are so great, Scott, and we are so grateful, and we have been hoarding them and trying to decide, you know, who we might share these with. I know. Oh. I, w- I was just talking about going to the frame shop to get them mounted somehow so that we could preserve them yes, forever in their because they are state. real collector's items, and we're just so grateful. Because they'd be mint in plastic if they came in plastic. Yeah. I guess they're not mint anymore. They're mint in envelope. <laughs> they're as mint as they can be. They came from the Mego Museum. <laughs> That's true. So we're very happy. Speaking of that, yes, um, of, of things like that, yeah. Let me go to um, some email that was sent to us by um, Jennifer. Okay. Because it's great. Well, now I have to actually find her email. But she alerted us to the fact that um, there are yet more Star Trek. Um, comic books coming out. Now, last time I think I had mentioned that they were going to produce something that was more or less based on TOS, and for all the super geeks out there, it was going to have um, a Klingon language variant edition, which is just the funniest thing in the entire world. Um, But what Jennifer told us about was another series that comes uh, also from IDW that's based on TOS, 
And um, it's called Star Trek Year Four, a six-issue series that kicks off in July. It has a team of writers and artists that I've never heard of. But there's some sample art from it up at um, the Trek website, and it looks pretty good. Mm-hmm. They've done a pretty good job. And oh. the cool thing is that in one of these panels, there is super Kirk light. Super Kirk light. And look, his, look, his eyes are glowing. Yeah. It is, and he's playing 3D chess. Um, and there's also, if you noticed in this thing, it's a drawing from... Um, the EVE of Turin. <laughs> it's it's a n- very nice drawing from um, the Turnabout Intruder episode. And yeah. it actually looks pretty good. Yes, it does. It looks fantastic. Yeah. So I don't really know what this is about or anything, but we're definitely going to be um, getting some of these because I want to see a, a well-drawn comic that has Kirkland. Yeah. Which is just very, very cool. That is lovely. So I think it's fascinating that they continue to put out Star Trek comic books. And Star Trek everything. And Star Trek everything. And toys. And yeah. just... And it's going to explode again once that new movie gets rolling. Yeah, who knows? God, yeah. there's probably going to be so much stuff for that. So we are uh, very, very happy about that. Okay, can I share something with you that's hot off the presses? <gasps> yes, please. Okay, I just checked my email. Uh-huh. And Ventura has posted a peep story. Yay! And I haven't, I haven't read it, but I looked. And it's very short, so I think we should read it. I think we should read it, too. Okay. Now, for those of you who don't know, we have talked about Peeps before and how I wrote a few stories, but Ventura has absolutely run with this theme of Kirk and Peeps, and it just they are so imaginative and weird and wonderful, and I don't know what's going to happen in this one. I'm just going to read it. <laughs> it's called Petrified Peeps. Oh, it's a drabble, so it will be very short. Summary. This time, Kirk gets to torture the peeps rather than the other way around. Chekhov gaped in horror when he saw the dessert cart. It's a Midwestern tradition, Kirk explained. Back in Iowa, they'll put anything in lime jello. Oh, my God. From pineapple chunks to succotash. The ensign ventured another look at the ghastly sight. With their tiny sugary beaks twisted as if in a final agonized scream, several half-melted peeps lay entombed in their gelatinous final resting place. Like a Pompeii miniature, Chekhov thought, overtaken by a deluge of lime-green lava. Marshmallows and jello go quite well together. But, sir, for Klingon diplomats? Kirk grinned. They'll think it's a dish fit for warriors. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh, I love that because I am from the Midwest and we do do horrible things to Jello. <laughs> it's almost, you know, it's sort of a parallel to Scotty transporting all the tribbles to the Klingon engine room. It's it kind of like that. It is. That's a good story. Oh, I'm so glad I went and checked just to see what was there because it was something wonderful. It was great. Let's see. Um, this, okay, these two things we should wait because okay. I think we're ready to talk about it. So, um, why don't we take a little break? Okay. we've been talking for a while. But this was great. We love getting emails. So everybody send us emails. Jamie, thank you so much for sending oh, us emails. Oh, also, um, Echo, we have received, uh, yes, um, the, the Voice of the Planet. Haven't had a chance to look at it, but we are very excited and very grateful and uh, and we're looking forward to seeing Shatner push-ups. I was thinking about that, the Shatner push-ups. And, and Bill with water. And, and Bill stuff. with water yeah. and everything, flirting yeah. with the earth and Faye, Dun- Faye Dunaway's voice. Yeah. Okay, uh, hang on and we'll be right back. 
space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. We want to hear from you. Leave comments at lookathisbutt.blogspot.com. Send email to lookathisbutt at gmail.com. This entire podcast recorded on an Apple PowerBook with GarageBand. This is TSFPN.com, the sci-fi podcast network. You found the best podcast in the universe. Music. Music. Okay. This um this is an interview that came up just recently and it's because Bill went up to Canada to shill for a video cell phone mm-hmm. that they, they are promoting in Canada. And this person, Steve McLean, was invited to the media conference. And uh, he says, what they didn't know is that I don't own a cell phone and have no interest in them. If that's your thing, you can find out more about it here. And he gives you the link. Said I wanted to talk to Shatner about music. So um, it, there, there's some really wonderful stuff in this interview that we totally enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see. Um, okay, so I'm just going to read it. You've become pretty renowned as a pitch man for various products. So what exactly is your role going to be with Rogers? That's the company doing cell phone. And Shatner says, I'm just here to make sure you're here. But you have no ongoing marketing commitment. No, it's just a wonderful first for Canada. Technologically advanced, great company in Rogers Communications. That's why I'm here. So was there a musical rivalry between you and Leonard Nimoy in the late 60s when you were both putting out records? I just thought that his record was terrible. All of them? I didn't know he made more than one. Mine weren't that bad. I once wrote a song-by-song analysis of how Leonard's The Way I Feel is the best album ever to make love to, which aired on CBC Radio. What's your favorite album to make love to? I pay more attention to the person I'm making love to than the music. Bill. Bill. So you're always in the mood and don't need anything to get you into the mood? That's correct. (laughs) And especially not Leonard Nimoy. (laughs) That's correct. That is correct. So uh, let me see what else is in here. Oh, he talks a little bit about Ben Folds. Okay, here's here's something we've, we've talked about before. Is there more music in your future? I've got another record coming out very soon on the chapter of Exodus in which 350 singers vocalize and a 72 piece orchestra, the Arkansas Symphony, plays new music written for it. It will be out soon. We're just finishing it. So it will be you reading passages from the biblical book over music? Exactly. <laughs> Do you know how many copies of Transform Man has sold? I have no idea. Do you care? <laughs> I care in as much if they're buying it, they're buying it for a reason. But it doesn't affect me in terms of any monetary gain because I don't make any royalties from it. That's kind of surprising. Oh, oh, Okay. Are you aware that there are three bands, Yay! The Wedding Present, The Bodines, and The Scofflaws, who've all named songs after you? No. Does the CBC like them? <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you get to find out a bit about British society by hanging out with Joe Jackson when you covered Pulp's Common People? A little bit. I got to hang out with Joe Jackson a bit, and he's quite a character. 
Did you spend any time with Pulp's Jarvis Cocker? No, not really. I just covered his song. <laughs> but I love that Bill will answer questions about lovemaking. Oh, or, or that he'll just say stuff about it. That he'll just bring it up. And, yeah. I, you know, I was, for some reason, I was thinking about the E! interview again. <laughs> because Gosh, I wonder why. my head and the fact that Bill will go from, you know, talking about the soup and the pot stickers that they're eating to... Um, what about the texture of a man's skin? <laughs> you know what I was thinking about today? Oh, God, it just went out of my head. It was sad. Oh, when Bill said sex should be a template for your day. Yes. You should start slowly <laughs> and finish completely. <laughs> oh, it's all about the sex with Bill. Oh, it is. I think he likes sex even more than he likes business. I think that's right. <laughs> I think that's right. Imagine the business he gets into after sex, like the smoking of the cigarette and stuff, back when he used to smoke. Yeah. I bet he was good at that. I bet he was. (laughs) I bet he was good at, like, after play, too. That's part of finishing. Oh, of course, yeah. Of course. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that right, big cardboard (laughs) curve? He's watching us. He's still got the Valentine's Day decoration. I know, because I liked it so much. Yeah? Yeah. It looks great. He's a big Cupid. He is. Oh, well, that was a great article. I really like that. And what was the next thing we were going to do? Oh, you were going to talk about, speaking of sex. Yeah, speaking of sex. Okay, I bought a new sex toy. Woohoo! And it's mitten back. <gasps> First, I want to tell you where I got it. Where? Yeah, at the mall. Oh, what store? Spencer's Gifts. Oh, Spencer Gifts. They have a sex toy section. A real one? A real one. Wow. Okay, so this is the sex toy I bought. I haven't even taken it out of plastic yet. It's called the 5X Finger Vibe, Ooh. Ecstasy at Your Fingertip. And it's kind of like your yeah. iBuzz, but it does plug in the computer. And it's got one, two, three, four attachments and five settings, which are foreplay, uh-huh. tease, <laughs> pulsation, vibration, and climax. Wow. And it's a hot purple. It's a beautiful color. Yes, and it comes with little hearing aid batteries. I see that. It runs on those batteries. And um, here's the name of the... Uh, okay, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to tell you the name of the attachment, and you tell me which attachment it is. Okay. The Nubby Lover. Ooh. I think it's this one. You're wrong. Oh. Um, The Bumper. The Bumper. Uh, I'm going to pick the one with the really big bumps on it. This one here. You're wrong. Spiral. Uh, That's the one in the middle that's got spirals on it. Yeah, okay. Clit tickler. Oh, boy. Uh, maybe that's the one with the great big bumps on it? This one? No, you were wrong. (laughs) (laughs) This is the clit tickler. Uh Uh-huh. Spiral, you were right on. Bumper is the one with little bumps, uh-huh. and this is Nubby Lover. Nubby Lover. Oh, so right. here's what it says on the back: wireless vibration. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's what the five X's are: one X foreplay, two X T's. Oh. Okay. Uh, five speed finger vibe for intense sexual exploration. Compact wireless design fits right on your finger. Discreet and perfect for travel. <laughs> four slot, four soft pleasure skin pleasure sleeves. Add fun and variety to your playtime with four unique and exciting 
textures. Wow. And here's a picture. Of, of a woman, it's a woman's finger. Yeah. With the thing on there. Yep. That's amazing. So I'm going to be testing that out. Cool. Well, you'll have to give us a report. Yep. And hopefully, if it makes really fun noises like yours did, we'll be playing those. Totally. For well, people that, too. this may be the subject of our next um, video segment. <laughs> And we will be doing another video segment because we had a good reaction to the one we already did. So we're going to have the little Kirks holding up your sex toy and demonstrating to each other. How okay. It works. Yeah. Um, I want to just say one thing about the uh, video segment. Yeah. If you want sophisticated video, you should probably watch the Terrence and Phillips show. <laughs> Because that's a lot more sophisticated than ours. Oh, ours was never meant to be sophisticated. <laughs> Do you know who Terrence and Philip are? No. They're the cartoon on South Park that the <laughs> South Park kids watch. And all it is is these two British guys who come up and go, Hi, Terrence. Hi, Philip. And then they fart on each other and laugh. Oh, that's that's very funny. It, it's sort of like the equivalent of the Itchy and Scratchy show yes. on The Simpsons yes. where they just hit each other. I just have to look at this. You know, so this is, I, I approve of the fact that um, you bought this. This thing made by the Adam and Eve Company. Uh huh. Because the guy who runs the Adam and Eve Company yeah. is is a guy who um, is really interested in um, promoting contraception, and he gives a lot of money to promote um, condom distribution in uh, to poor people. Well, cool. There was a huge article about him in Mother Jones like four or five years ago, and I was like, "Damn, that's so, a great thing." So I'm doing good by feeling good. You are. It's true. Wow, and yeah. it's lovely purple. Yeah. You know, it says eight free batteries. Well, maybe there's... Oh, there's two. They're, like, right four, up against each so other. I can't read it. Oh, four extra. It runs on four, and then you get four extra. Well, that's damn cool. nice of them. Cool. Well, we look forward to hearing about that. Yep. That's a great thing. So, way to go, Spencer Gifts. Were you shopping for a sex toy? Would you no. just, like, in there looking around? I was, I was in there looking around to see if there was anything fun or funny or cool when mm-hmm. I was trying to, you know, come up with birthday presents for you. And and the, the thing I, I actually got you that hasn't come yet is not from Spencer Okay. Gifts. Well, that, that's a damn cool thing. So, um, I think the next thing, and probably the last thing that we're going to talk about on this show, is a book that you had mentioned a, a couple times before called Boarding the Enterprise, Transporters, Tribbles, and the Vulcan Death Grip in Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek. And it was edited by David Gerald and Robert Sawyer. And, um, as it says on the front, completely unauthorized. Yes. Um, so... I, I read this recently, and I read through it pretty quickly, and I think you had mentioned that it's um, it's got some really good essays in it. It also mm-hmm. has some really bad essays yes. in it. It's kind of uneven. So did you... Now, you read this longer ago than I did. Right, because I read it when I first got it. But um, one of the things I remember is um, reading the first two, and I don't remember what mm-hmm. they were, but um, that they were dull and dry, and the type of academic stuff that <laughs> sucks the joy out of Trek... And, and I thought, oh, my God, is this whole book going to be this way? But then as I read on, there were some truly enjoyable um, articles there and some wonderful things, and they weren't – also the first two seemed to sort of repeat each other. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, my God, is this going to be the same thing over and over? And it wasn't. So you've read it more recently, so why don't you discuss in a little more depth, and I'll jump in when I think of things. Okay. Um, there, there were um – well, here's here's some things. There were a few things in here that I just flat out disagreed with, and the the very first thing in here is by Norman Spinrad, who um, wrote for Star Trek and right. also was a you know he's a science fiction author, and um, he does sort of what you were saying. It's it's kind of like well here's Star Trek and here's what was special about it, but um, I just totally disagree with this his assessment right here. So he's talking about the characters and how Spock was unique and there had never really been a character. He says. 
William Shatner was hired as the star, but Kirk was never the central character in Star Trek and never could be. I remember that's that. That's so wrong. Yeah. That's just bullshit. Yeah. Because he was. That's total bullshit. Yeah. He, he was the central character, and he should have been the central character because he was the captain of the Enterprise. Yes. And, you know, the, it's funny. The more we watch Star Trek episodes, you and I... Um, with sort of a different viewpoint on it now because we're doing the show and because we're older and coming at it, the, the clearer it is that Kirk really was the center of the show. I mean, I, I remember going through a phase where I, I was really interested in Spock as a character and it seemed like he was really important. And then reading all the fanfic somehow built him up in my mind to be much more of a, an important part of the show than he actually was. Mm. And now when I'm watching episodes where he doesn't have a whole lot to do, <clears throat> you know, he's there, but he's just not that important. Well, reading a lot of fanfic actually made me dislike Spock for 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 a while because there were, there were too many people who who were building him up and elevating him beyond this point that yeah. I felt the character sustained on his own yeah. without all the fanfic. It's a it's a wonderful character, a wonderful characterization, and it is intriguing. But like I say, some of the the fanfic just went way way overboard yeah. in a way that I could never really understand. Yep. Um, the next one, I think the one you're thinking of is the third one. The second one here <clears throat> is by D.C. Fontana, and it's basically just some stories about her work. Oh, right. Soundtrack. Okay, so That was I interesting, am, but yeah. I've heard all those stories before. Um, and then the next one is by Alan Steele, and it's called All Our Tomorrows, The Shared Universe of Star Trek. And that does get into um, more of the academic sort of, here's how it happened, and here's yeah. how it came together, and just recapping a lot of stuff. Um, there is one in here called The Prime Question, which pretty much reads like somebody's dissertation or perhaps a master's thesis on how the Prime Directive was related to United States leadership in the world mm. at the time. And, you know, it's interesting, but, yeah, it's pretty boring. Yeah. i got to yeah. say. Um, it's well-researched and all that, but I was having a hard time with it. Now, the next one is called We Find the One Quite Adequate, Religious Attitudes in Star Trek. And... Um, this was an article written by a guy with a big agenda. <laughs> you think? I think it was. And the guy who wrote it, Michael Burstein, is a guy who writes science fiction. But, man, I was really put off by his agenda. Now, he, it's funny because he does quote the line that Kirk says in um, the episode when he's talking to Apollo. Mm-hmm. And he says, mankind has no need for gods. We find the one quite adequate. And obviously they had to put that in because there couldn't be atheism on TV in the mm-hmm. 1960s. But um, he points out, quite rightly, that there isn't very much religion in Star Trek at all. I mean, it's just not there. And even Until though we you see, get into DS9. Right. But they're not, they don't come out and say they're atheists, but it mm-hmm. pretty much is portrayed as if people have religious beliefs, they keep them to themselves, and it's never in Starfleet. You never hear God being invoked or anything like mm-hmm. that. And, and I think that that was an important part of Star Trek, was to show that by that time, you know, whatever our personal beliefs might be, they're not part of the overall um, people who are running the show. Right. There's a separation. Now, maybe it was in this article, or maybe it was in something else I read recently, and you might be able to correct me, but talking about that line, we find the one quite adequate. Something I read recently was saying that had always sounded to them like it was added on as as a network thing, like you couldn't just say we've outgrown the need for gods. Yeah, that you had to say. I think, but so. we still believe in God. I I think that that's probably true, and and I can see why in you know 1968 they just couldn't come out and say it, but the mm-hmm. meaning was clearly there. Mm-hmm. 
what I really disagree with is throughout, he's kind of, the author of this article is kind of going on saying, yeah, there was no religion in Star Trek, and that was a bad thing. Okay, well, that's your opinion. Right. And then he gets to the end, and he says, it is unfortunate that Roddenberry's view of the future did not have room for religion. But his view, sadly, was based on the flawed premise that religion is a way for people to abjure responsibility for their actions and to hand over control of their lives to others. I don't think that's very flawed, actually. (laughs) And then he says, religion is a vital part of human experience and one that will not be as easily left behind in the future as Roddenberry hoped. Well, in your opinion... Well, and I kind of agree about that. Agree with that. I mean, I'm not a religious person, but I know... It has been a very important part of human history, and I do think, maybe not necessarily for all individuals, but as collectives, mm-hmm. that that the need to understand drives us in many ways, and it drives us to science, and it drives us to religion. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think it will completely disappear. But him saying that, you know, that it's, it's a, a flawed idea that religion is a bad thing. Well, no, because religion can be a very bad thing. It can, it can be, be a good thing, too, you yeah. know. I, I think what I'm objecting to is the first part of that sentence. Religion is a vital part of the human experience. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that is true for everyone. And I think you can have a completely vital experience without religion ever yes, being part of it. that's true. It that doesn't true. have to be there. That is true. So I, I was just annoyed at his tone throughout. Yeah. Um, so let's see. There's This was an interesting article. It's called Who Am I? Personal Identity in the Original Star Trek. And it talks about all the episodes where there were androids and robots. And what does it mean really to be human? Especially mm-hmm. in the What Are Little Girls Made Of episode. You know, why did Kirk and Nurse Chapel not think that the android was really Roger Corby when mm-hmm. everything that he was had been downloaded into that android? Yeah. Like, why was that not him anymore? And what happens when your consciousness gets transferred from you know, Kirk's body into a globe, and then he becomes Sargon. Mm-hmm. Like, why isn't he Sargon Yeah, now? yeah. <laughs> so, then the point of the article is that these things weren't really resolved, because right. we just haven't gotten to the point where we could resolve something, and as humans, we have very, very conflicted ideas about who people are, and where your soul is, and where your mind is, mm-hmm. and all the rest of that. So, I thought that was pretty cool. It That's was. That's a good article. That was by Lyle Zinda. Um, and then there were some really funny things in here. Um, The one about Vulcans called What Have You Done With Spock's Brain was not that funny. Um, The one about, um, this is called Lost Secrets of the Pre-War Human Technology. I adored this This one. This was like Galaxy Quest. It was. It was so funny. So from the point of view of um, aliens watching episodes of Star Trek via, you know, Mm -hmm. space, um, trying to figure out why there were no seatbelts on the Enterprise and just figuring that they were so advanced that they didn't need them. And and his explanation, should we tell what it is? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, you you know, go ahead. Oh, okay. His explanation, and tell me if I garble this too badly, is that um, basically humans, due to their, their past and everything, knew how dangerous it was mm-hmm. to go into space. And so <laughs> they didn't want to send anybody who needed seatbelts <laughs> because they wanted people who could get out of trouble no matter what 
happened to them. Right, and if they got killed because there were no seatbelts, then they deserved to die, and it was natural selection. That's right. (laughs) And I couldn't help thinking that it was so funny because it's one of those things that you can grab onto and go, that explains everything. Uh You know, like the spanking list explains everything if you get yourself into that mindset. And I remember loving that article. This was really good. This is really funny. I'll quote from part of it. Thus we see that the Enterprise's five-year mission is a survival test for its crew, a part of humanity's drive to improve its gene pool without the use of genetic engineering. But then note that in the chronicles of that mission, we see another species that probably uses even less safety equipment than humans. I refer, of course, to the Klingons. (laughs) It's immediately obvious why Kirk hates the Klingons. These are exactly the sort of beings that humans expect to fight eventually in a genocidal war that they have been preparing to fight since first contact. (laughs) So it's very, very funny. It goes on like that. And then there's a great article about why Scotty was the most important member of the crew. Yes. Oh, my God. hilarious. That was hysterical. So it it just builds on the idea that... um, when it was in one of the movies, right, where mm-hmm. he, it was playing on this idea that Scotty always says it can't be done, and then somehow he pulls it out mm-hmm. of the hat, and he finally reveals that whatever his estimate for how long it was going to take, he would double it and then tell Kirk. Or quadruple it or yeah, something. Yeah, and that's how he always got things done. And the guy who's written this, Robert Metzger, um, explains that as a software engineer, he or a hardware engineer, he does exactly the same sort of thing. Yes. And he gives a great example of how it actually works and how he gets his budget made. Right, and how stupid management is. Is. It's a very Dilbertian it, it is. sort of uh, view of things. And then he it goes into a discussion of how the transporters actually work, <laughs> yeah. which is really funny, and how impossible it would be to actually store all of the data from a human being and then, and then mm-hmm. make it transport that data. So what he says, of course, is that transporters aren't really... Um, matter transporters, what they are is destroying you at one end and rebuilding you at the other end. Mm-hmm. And they don't tell anybody this because <laughs> they wouldn't do they it. They wouldn't do it if it did. So he says, um, uh, Kirk always insisted on being the first, on that first landing party, the one where one out of five transporters would be killed, transportees would be killed within the first minute of hitting the planet's surface. The odds are one out of five, and despite the fact that Kirk must have beamed down over a hundred times, he was never killed. Or so they'd like you to think. No, Kirk was in fact killed an average of during every fifth landing, just as Spock and McCoy were. What engineering would then do was beam the survivors immediately back up, reconfigure synapses in order to remove the memories of the last few (laughs) seconds in which a command person was killed, and then send them back down to the planet along with a slightly altered version of Kirk, one less likely to get killed in that situation. (laughs) So I love that the fact that, you know, one out of five times they beam down and get killed immediately and they have to Get back up here. We need to make a new one. So that was just hilarious. That was really good. Um, There's a couple more that are more space-oriented. One has to do with the space race. I'm going to skip it because I don't think I actually finished this one. Yeah, I remember Um, the same reaction. And then um, there are a couple more about um, one that's called How Star Trek Liberated Television, just talking about um, the fun things that Star Trek did that made television be different in terms of episodic TV and bringing um, science fiction to the masses and stuff. Um, I remember that being really interesting. Yeah, article. that was a really good one. And then there's also a really good article about fan fiction in yes. here, too, that talks about the appeal of the characters and why it was so important for people to write fan fiction. Uh, it's called Alexander for the Modern Age, How Star Trek's Female Fans Reinvented Romance and Heroic Myth. It's by Melissa Dickinson. And, and it's, an, it's an excellent article and... Um, Reading it, she goes into an explanation of uh, chaos and the dynamic of it and 
sort of what it means to people. And it, to me, was very interesting that on reading it, um, you know, I used to write KS and mm-hmm. I hung out with KSers, and, and people were always talking about what KS means to me and, and everything. And I wish I could remember the specifics in the article now, but it's been too long ago. But I, for the first time, understood why one KSer in particular completely dropped me. Mm-hmm. And I had never, ever understood her reasons. And and, and reading this, I realized that um, I had unintentionally touched a, a, a core belief of hers because... Mm-hmm. You know, we were having a discussion, you know, email, and uh, and she said something about Kirk finding his perfect love with Spock. And and we had sent just tons of email to each other, really long ones, talking about all kinds of things that we thought about. And so I sent her a really long email saying, I don't believe in perfect love, and here's why, and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. And I never, ever heard from her ever again. So it was like... Wow, I mean, I really, I really hit a, a, a sensitive point mm-hmm. there, but it was only on reading this that I, I got a little more insight into that. Well, there's a really good paragraph here that I wanted to read because I think um, it, it's, I hadn't thought about it this way before, and I think this is a, a good response. And it's about um, all of the articles that we've all read about why slash why fan fiction. Why do you write fan fiction instead of doing other things? And she says. That's because it's impossible to answer the why fanfic question, and why slash is even more slippery, not because there is no answer, but because, just as with fanfic writers in general, for every slash fan in existence, it's almost certain there's a different one, and very likely several. For some, it's a way to explore questions of importance to them, particularly regarding intimate relationship between equals. For others, sexual politics, gender politics are part of the reason erotic fantasy plays a role, as women often find the idea of two attractive men together as appealing as some men find the reverse. Um... And it goes on a little bit for different reasons. Um, As one Slash fan blogged recently in frustration, so here's a little if-then for you. If your thesis paper on why Slash isn't about how Slash fans defy any attempt to categorize their reasons for being there, then your thesis paper sucks. (laughs) (laughs) And, And I think that that's really true. I mean, there is... There isn't a good answer to why slash or why fan fiction. Mm-hmm. Everybody has different reasons for it. There isn't right. one reason. And you can't look at fan fiction and go, all fan fiction writers are like this. Or all people who write fan fiction want it for a specific reason. Mm-hmm. Or all Star Trek fans want the same kind of thing. Because it's just not true. And Everybody it's not true of anything. Reason. You know, yeah. not just Star Trek. Um, the other thing I thought this article did a really good job of, and I have never, ever seen anybody manage to do this. I have never managed to see... A KSer explain KS. I've seen other people, you know, try to explain its role in fan fiction, but I've never seen a KSer do it without insulting non KSers. Mm-hmm. Without somehow implying, and you're an idiot if you don't see it. Mm-hmm. So I, I was very impressed with that. Yeah, it, it's great. Um, the very last article in here I also thought that was a really, really good one, and it's called Being Better. And it's by Howard Weinstein. And it just talks about um, Star Trek in its historical context and Mm -hmm. how hard it is for people to understand the impact that it had in 1966-67 with regard to attitudes towards other races, attitudes towards other nationalities on Earth, and attitudes toward what humans could do. And um, he goes through a lot of exploration about... um, uh, the 
E Pluribus Unum episode. Ugh. What the hell is it called? Um, Remind me, because I can't remember. I, Omega Glory. Omega Glory. Oh, God, so where did I get that? So he talks about Omega Glory and how there's still some good things in that. And then um, he talks about also the, um, uh, oh, God, the names of the episodes are just going out of my head. Um, A Taste of Armageddon. And the stuff that happens in Taste, yeah, Taste of Armageddon, where um, Kirk has to stop this battle between the two planets who are bent on destroying each other, and he goes through the thing, and he says, Kirk says, the instinct can be fought. We're human beings with the blood of a million savage years on our hands, but we can stop it. We can admit that we're killers, but we're not going to kill today. That's all it takes, knowing we're not going to kill today. And making a statement like that on TV in the mm-hmm. mid-60s with everything that was going on was huge. Yep. To, to say, yes, we admit it, but we can be better than this. Mm-hmm. And saying that we have to be better, and that's where our future is going to lie when we finally get off this planet and go to other places. We have to be better than we are today. And, and that is the big appeal of Star Trek, was mm-hmm. saying we will be better, we can be better, here are people who are better. And that's what we should look for, and that's yes. what we should try to be. But they're still human. They're still human. That's still the flawed. thing is they hadn't, you know, I, I don't know, turned into these weird alien strange caricatures. It, it was saying within our own humanity mm-hmm. we have the capacity yep. to do that. Now, there was one article in here, and I don't think you mentioned it, and I don't mm-hmm. remember. Oh, this one. I really like this one, to boldly teach what no one has oh, taught yeah. before. This is by David DeGraff, and he's a teacher, and he talks about how he uses Star Trek in mm-hmm. his teaching. And it is an absolutely... That one. sorry. Yeah. Oh, it's a fascinating article. It's very short. But, I mean, I was just reading this going, oh, I wish all teachers were like this. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily because he uses Star Trek, but his whole whole view of teaching and, and what you can what you can do... And he has given students problems like, okay, explain why this Star Trek science could not possibly work. Or come up with a reason to make a transport work. You know, just, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very short article, but it really, I, mm-hmm. I found it delightful. So in the whole, I would say, yeah, the, 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 there are, it's like about a 50-50 mm-hmm. as far as the articles I didn't care for in the articles that I enjoyed, but I think it's, you know, it's a, it's a good thing to have in the collection. Yeah, I, I agree. So it's, it's interesting, you know, because so much of it is really about Star Trek as part of our culture, not so mm-hmm. much about Star Trek the show or Star Trek just the fandom or yeah. or anything like that. It really is about all the, the different places it has gone, where yeah. no TV show went before. Yeah. I agree. I, I'm, I'm at this point in my career. Um, I'm, I'm a little tired of reading the how Star Trek came to be stories. Like, yes, I've read them all. Yes, I know what happened. I've, mm-hmm. I've read all the books by the people who were there who did yes. it all. It's like, okay, I don't need to know this again. Don't need to hear the Chekhov story again. Mm-hmm. Don't need to hear. But so that's why I enjoyed these things that were a little more about um, analysis. And I don't think Tribbles got mentioned at all in this book. I don't think the Vulcan Death Grip got mentioned I don't either. Think so. The subtitle is Transporters, Tribbles, and the Vulcan Death Grip in Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek. I don't remember Tribbles or the Vulcan Death Grip, so maybe that was something I skipped. Or maybe, maybe. they just put it there because they thought it made a good title. Because every book has to have a subtitle now. Yeah. You can't have a book that just has a plain old title, a nonfiction book. Yeah. Every nonfiction book is required by law. Oh, is that law? It now? is, yeah. And usually they have a colon after it, and this one doesn't mm-hmm. happen to have a colon. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to check. Maybe it does on the. Uh, I know. I'm looking to see whether it's actually coloned. 
colon. <laughs> yeah, it does. Look, See? there it is. Yep. There yep. it is. So, just remember that, kids. If you write a nonfiction book, it has to have a colon and a subtitle. It's the same law that puts a, star, a Starbucks on every corner. In oh, okay. Yeah. Um, random thought. Yes. Idea. Analysis, whatever, that I came up with. When you were talking about transporters, I remembered I wanted to tell you this. Do you remember when we were talking about the upcoming new voyages with young gay Peter Kirk? Oh, yeah. Who apparently aged 20 years in yes. three years. I put that really scary picture up on the blog. Yeah, I saw it. Well, here's the thing. Transporter accident. Oh, of course. Of I'm course. not saying it made him gay. I'm saying it made him age. Yeah, I I think that's right. I think that's right. Or maybe he went to the Scalosians planet. Or maybe he, he got the deadly years disease um, and they didn't reverse it on him. Well, that is... Okay, that could be. That could be just because... There's so many possibilities. Because that was the thing that happened in the other New Voyages episode. Yeah, the Chekhov. Chekhov. See? He caught, her, he caught the, the old from Chekhov. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... I don't know. Listeners, what's your favorite explanation for that? Come up with your own. Be creative. Um, I showed that picture to Logan. Mm-hmm. And I said, um, doesn't this look creepy? And he said, why are they wearing Oshkosh by gosh overalls? But really girly ones. But really girly ones. Really girly. Bright primary colored Oshkosh by gosh overalls. Like yep. preschool clothes. Yeah. <laughs> really pretty scary. Yeah. Okay. But, um, okay, so we, we can check off boarding the Enterprise. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's all I had on my list of things right now. I think we've hit everything. Let me see. We have a list, listeners. Did we do this? No, but we can do it another time. Oh, okay. All right. Something to look forward to. Yeah, there's always stuff to do for the next Yeah, now, um, listeners, there's probably only, I think maybe five or six Boston Legals left this season. Mm -hmm. So if you have requests, things you would like us to talk about in the summer when we don't Give so much attention to Boston Legal because we don't review reruns. Let us know about yeah, those. I think we need to, to watch and review more of the remastered Star Trek episodes. Yeah, and I think, in fact, I demand <laughs> yes. that we watch and review Galaxy Quest. Oh, finally, yes. We're we always, have to do that. always talking about it. I know. I was thinking about that just the other day. Yes, yep. we definitely need to. Yeah, because I, I finally got the DVD. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. So we don't have it on just videotape now. We will do that. Yay! Yay! All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for this time around. Um, send in emails. Send in thoughts. Send in anything you ever want to. Um, and let us know what you think the dolls should be talking about the next time <laughs> we do video. Maybe it won't be the dolls. Maybe it will be something it, else. It might be something else. Yeah. We, we're working on it. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. <laughs>